Dad Poet Society. Trigger warning, mentions of suicide, addiction, and other sensitive topics. Hey guys. Welcome to Dead Dad Poet Society. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, so... So... (laughs) Um, I think we're going to call this episode When It Rains, It Pours. Because when it rains, it pours. And that is so true for our lives Um, and the lives of many other people, but specifically our lives right now. Yeah. You'll all get your chance to have terrible things continue to happen to you. Don't worry. So true. It's our time right now. It is our time to shine right now. Also, of course, the time of like the rest of our family and stuff. Mm -hmm. Not just us. We are not the only ones affected or even the ones most affected right now, but it still sucks. So... So our uncle died a few days ago. Um, Our uncle Brian. Um, He was my dad's only brother. Yeah. So we talked about him a little bit before. um, But yeah, he was an amazing brother to my dad, especially in the last few years. Yeah. He was there for him through a lot. And as we said last time, we're extremely grateful to him for that. Um, We're also grateful for... Um, how great he was to us after our dad's death and always checking in with us. Always checking up on us, sending us random songs. Yeah. And photos. Yeah. So he will be very missed. Um, so Brian was diagnosed with lung cancer like probably a year ago. A year ago. Yeah, I'm not, t- I'm not um sure. when my dad was alive, maybe a little bit more than a year ago. Um, and my dad was, you know, in and out of Georgia, checking up on him and it just got a lot worse in the past couple weeks. And then specifically in the past week, progressed very quickly. And yeah, yeah. cancer fucking sucks. Cancer sucks. Um, as we stated before there, my dad and Brian's mom died of cancer. So it's kind of like a family thing as it is in a lot of families. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so fuck cancer. Yeah. Joe Biden, your one job was to cure cancer. So, so get on that. So dude. get on that bestie. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's rough. Um, I like don't even really know what to say right now. Yeah. Other than- and we're sad. We're sad. <laughs> we're also sad, you know, for like our cousins and who lost their dad. They lost their dad. Our aunt who lost her husband, um, and Haley, one of our cousins, just announced that she's pregnant. So true. And it's very nice to have happy things to look yeah. forward to. Also, obviously, a little bittersweet right now, but Shardy is one beautiful child. And I'm sure another really excited child. to have a niece. Also, her son Thomas is like objectively the cutest baby. I'm like not a baby person. So and true. he really like he's so a baby, he's a baby cute. model. He's like an influencer. He literally he's, is. Haley's like kind of like a mommy influencer. I mean, like yeah. a, she's like a micro mommy influencer. So yeah. slay, Haley Slay. But we're not going to let this sadness stop us from celebrating um, Brian and, you know, his relationship with our dad. Before we continue talking about death and whatnot, we can't forget about our, our Yahoo News. Our Yahoo News. Our Yahoo News break. no matter what is happening in the world um, and in our lives, we will never leave you guys without a Yahoo News break. Okay, so front page of Yahoo News... We're kind of going to the more low-key parts of Yahoo News because a lot of it's like war. And again, as we stated last time, 
We're trying to steer clear of that stuff. Yeah, we're trying to like depressing enough. Yeah, we're trying to bring like have like some levity to the beginning yeah. so that we can cry later. Um, what's in the news right now is the box office success of Barbie and Oppenheimer. The first thing I want to say that has nothing to do with really any of that is that movie theaters obviously are not equipped to handle more than like six people at the movie theater. I guess they couldn't hire people for like the one month that Barbie and Oppenheimer are out because I waited in line for mine and Anna's Aperol spritzes. Yes, I ordered Aperol spritzes at a movie theater. Okay, like deal with it. I waited like literally 30 minutes for two Aperol spritzes because there was one poor. Also, the bartender was literally measuring everything out with a jigger. And literally the woman behind me, she was like, oh, I was a bartender. Like what kind of bartender doesn't measure it by eye? But like, it's true. Like not to be a Karen or anything, but he was measuring. He measured the Prosecco with a jigger. The Prosecco. Like, he was measuring it out. Yeah. That was really annoying. So that was a long line. And then also the concessions were even longer. So we did not get popcorn. But it's okay because I think if we had popcorn during Oppenheimer, oh, okay. I would have like... So- Yes, Barbie and Oppenheimer are both huge hits. I think that the surprise of the century is that Oppenheimer is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, same. We, we both agree. And, like, this. Barbie was fun. And, like... And Barbie was fun. And that's okay. And, like, sometimes there's, like, a fun, cute movie. And sometimes there's a movie that changes your life that the film bros also love. And it happens to be a Christopher Nolan movie. And that's just something that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and, like, we have to deal with, like, being those girls who loved Oppenheimer and, like, liked Barbie. But it's just who we are as people. And we can attribute probably a lot of that to... Our dad. Our dad. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this last night. Okay, first of all, we were we were really annoying because Anna, of course, like knows everything about the atomic bomb for some reason. Well, it's more about I know a lot about McCarthyisms than I know about the lead up to it, but yeah. Right, of course. Um, and we were like, she was like whispering. First of all, she says that you can't spoil history. I disagree because she was like, oh, his brother ends up getting arrested. Wait, she kept whispering things about like about that would happen later in the movie, I thought. And then I was like, okay, well, well it's it was like it was just historical fa- fun facts I knew. Yeah, but I didn't know that, so it would have been more fun to find it out during the movie because honestly, that wasn't I wasn't even in the movie, so it's okay. Yeah, but I knew nothing about Oppenheimer, so I was like, like shook. Like they, what they they dropped a bomb. Whoa, that's kidding. You make yourself don't sound like that was a joke. I actually did know about that because they made us debate that in history class in high school if they should have dropped the bomb or not. Which like that's like they also made us debate like whether or not like trans people should exist. So I'm not really surprised. They made us debate the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I feel like that was the most contentious. I think they had us debate whether trans people should be in sports, which like honestly is still a debate to this day. But I felt very uncomfortable. I don't think that was even like a discussion when I was in high school. I don't think people like acknowledged that that was a thing that I was. It was my freshman year of high school. That's crazy. Anyway, um, they just really wanted us to fight. So, um, yeah, Barbie was cute. Not much to say about that. Other than, oh, my God, that one girl that you responded to on Twitter who was saying, like, we should, Barbie taught us that we need to be nicer to men because the patriarchy, and like, her thing was like, oh, it was so good when she apologized to him. Sorry, can we talk about how Barbie apologizes to Ken for, like, ignoring him but he doesn't apologize to her for like ruining her entire for trying to do a fascist overthrow for trying to like overthrow her her and like trying to like to get and taking over her literal house and like renaming barbie land to like whatever ken whatever like that to me was so i don't know i i liked barbie it was cute i feel like a lot of people have said this but i just feel this way and i agree i feel like barbie would have been everything to me if it came out like when i was first developing my views of feminism and awareness of the patriarchy, like when I was like 15 or 16. And I think it's going to be great because I think there's a lot of people in our society who either haven't developed those views or haven't really thought much about that topic. And it will be really eye-opening for them. But I think for people who have spent a lot of time reading like feminist theory, I think for anyone who's ever read Catherine McKinnon, yeah, it's just simply just book, not, bitches. <laughs> it's just, just it's not going to hit exactly the same, but that's okay. Yeah. Like this, it's a blockbuster film. It's not necessarily yeah. for the people, like, 
the people who are like super engaged in like gender theory. Yeah, you and know? that's okay. And that's and, like, okay. That's cool. Like I think and it was so fun. Yeah. And it was really fun to watch, and the performances were great. Yeah, and it was very well directed, and it was a good movie. Oppenheimer, meanwhile. I cried throughout the entire yeah, thing. I was not expecting to be on the edge of my seat for a three-hour movie. And yet I was literally we were in like vibrating and like I was holding like, hands and, and like everyone in the theater out. was so annoyed by us. I kept accidentally kicking the woman in front of me's <laughs> feet because I, I was like jumping up. Like it was so and like when Albert Einstein kept making cameos, I was like, this is objectively hilarious. It was like basically a Marvel movie where like some like really famous guy like makes a yeah. cameo. Also, this can't be spoilers because we're gonna release this like a month later. So like yeah. if you haven't seen it by now, go watch it. But surprise, it's about um, a guy who makes a bomb and um, he's also a Jewish king. So we love that everyone... I mean, we're not saying that Oppenheimer's like a king, like oh, a great person. Well, I call Freud a Jewish king. It's like the same yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, there king. are problematic fave Jewish kings. But yeah. basically like I love history. Like history has always been like my main thing. Like I'm thank really you, passionate dad. about it. Yeah, thanks dad. Um, I grew up reading a lot about it and I studied in university and I love history. So the whole time I just kept crying because I was like, history is so amazing and like the idea of everyone who lives their lives mostly thinks that they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. and then, But then what is the right thing? Like, is there really a right thing? And the idea of like, what is a legacy? What do we leave behind? What meaning do our lives have based off our actions and whether we're making the right decision and you never really necessarily know that. And I'm not saying that like the people who dropped the atomic bomb didn't know that they were doing a bad thing or that it was okay in any way, because it's not. But it's just interesting how everyone seems to think that they're doing the right thing. I th- I literally wrote in my notes, like, during the movie, everything I learn about history makes me less sure of my opinion because it just – it's like, yeah, like, oh, so many people go into these situations with good intentions and thinking that they're doing the right thing and, you know, in a similar vein, everything I learn about my dad, especially after his death – makes my opinion on him more complicated. And it's like, it's so interesting how like the more you learn about anything, the more nuanced your perspective becomes. And bitches hate nuance. Bitches hate nuance. I know I'm one of those bitches because um, I'd rather just, you know, I'm a pretty strong-willed person and I'd much rather just really love something or really hate something. But usually that's not a luxury that we get to have. Yeah. And this movie makes me think about that a lot. And it's the question of like, what is a legacy and spoilers there's a point where like Oppenheimer is kind of like I wonder if anyone will ever tell the true story of what happened and obviously not that this movie is like 100% factual but you kind of like feel it reflected back on the audience you know the fact that a lot of these people are dead now and they never really saw the consequences of their actions pan out and they don't really know what their legacy was is something I think about all the time I think about that with my dad too on a smaller scale it's the Hamilton legacy what is a legacy and it was just like pretty amazing and it made me think a lot about how much I love the Jewish people and how much we've done for the world and how many... And how smart and talented we are. So true. And just like how many awesome things we've done. Like awesome, both in the sense like awesome, so cool, but also in the larger sense of like awesome. Like build it, an atomic bomb is awesome. Not that it's cool, but in the biblical sense of what awesome right. is, like it creates awesome. awe. And I just think that the incredible achievements that have so greatly impacted history both obviously some terrible and some wonderful from all of these scientists, most of whom were Jewish and like all of the Jews who have been like done things throughout time for such a tiny segment of the population. Like it just makes me really emotional and appreciative and obviously bringing everything back to my dad. Like my mom's side of the family was Jewish, but my dad had a great appreciation. Oh, we need to, we're definitely going to have to. Yeah, we're going to do an episode on that. My dad talking about having a Jewish wife. It's hilarious. And like having been raised in that tradition because of my mom, but also like my dad supporting that was like pretty amazing. And I feel very grateful to be part of that community. So 
So true. So that's our opinions on Barbenheimer. You're welcome. Um, you're welcome for that. I'm sure everyone wanted to hear that. And I'm sure this will be like a month late. So no one will care about it anymore. But that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So now to take a little bit of a pivot. Pivot. Um, we found this letter that my uncle Brian wrote to our dad on June 25th, 1997. And we obviously said that we're going to read stuff that my dad wrote, but because we are trying to celebrate Brian's life today and, you know, their relationship was so important. Brian was super smart too. And he was also a really good writer. And this letter is just very emblematic. I feel like I said that last time, like emblematic of a lot of themes in dad's life, but like emblematic of their relationship and how they thought about the world. Yeah. And the parallels between their writing, it's pretty freaky. You know, so you guys will, very similarly. you guys will see what we mean. Yeah, so we're not going to... It's a really long letter, honestly. So we're, we're just reading parts, and even those parts are long, and they're long paragraphs. They're with us, guys. But honestly, like, I think it's worth it because I feel like I... It makes me think. Yeah, and it's also just, like, really well-written and interesting, so... So true. Also, we honestly really, like, skimmed it, so... Yeah, you guys are kind of getting a line of discovering this together. Yeah, if we have to, like, take cry breaks, that will be a thing. But yeah, so do you want to start or... Okay, I can start. So <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, because I said I wanted to. No, yes, this was you wanted this. You you fought for this one. Okay, so. so Brian starts off, dear Greg, and then goes into this little talk about how he's listening to some mixtapes that my dad made him, which is so funny because my dad always made his playlists, and he had a history of making lots of people mixtapes. It was one of his love languages, and I made him playlists. He would send me back his thoughts on every single song mm-hmm. in the whole playlist. Music was definitely like a big part of his life and relationship. Right. So I thought that was cute. I want to mention that, even though Lily didn't want to. No, I just was like, it's a long letter. Like, it is a long letter. Anyway, I'm about to mention that. So anyway, Brian writes, why do you need to be a writer? Actually, you are a writer. But why add pressure and potentially spoil a good thing by labeling or defining something that you are supposed to find joy and release in? Why not be someone who writes well? Is being prolific in your efforts important? Or is it the content that matters? I think the people that matter in this context are the ones who rally and cheer after having recognized the effort. Write to and for those people. So he kind of clocked my dad. Yeah, (laughs) that was kind of a read. He said, you're a little obsessed with how people perceive you and how people perceive your writing and maybe just enjoy it, babe. Yeah, and maybe the people who get it are going to be the ones that you should write for. And he said, Greg, the girls who get it, get it. And the, the girls, girls who, who don't, don't, don't. And that's okay. And that's okay. And it's so weird. You guys are going to think like I'm a huge Hamilton fan by how much I bring well, up Hamilton. We just have like this like weird like thing about but, our dad and Hamilton. Like we can talk about how there's problems with in the year of our Lord 2023 with the musical Hamilton. However, Obviously. one thing Lin-Manuel Miranda got very right was this idea of like legacy and writing and what and people's obsession with what they leave behind. And that was so my dad. And it's the whole like you and your words assessing your legacy like why is it so important to write and your so sense, much your sentences border on senseless like it's so freaking true and we're gonna do a whole episode sorry on it. not to like but spoil, just... this whole idea that being prolific in your efforts was so important to my dad like why do you write like you're running out of time like why do you feel like you have to write so much and he left us with so much writing like why is that so important to you right when isn't it just important to like enjoy what you're writing like what are you even writing for like why do you need to be yeah. a writer how about you just write which my dad can never do. Like which also, I was talking to my friend Chloe about this because I was, I was kind, of, I was, I was very troubled with this idea of you know using my life for content and the idea of creating something out of so much hurt and trauma and um, 
I have this obsession in this age of social media. I think we all have this obsession with putting our entire lives out there and, um, you know, creating, creating something more meaningful and artistic out of our lives. Um, and I think my dad had this weird urge even like before the age of social media, but I think now we kind of all have this urge, but like, it's not even as cool or artistic because we're just like posting on Twitter or something. But I think, I think we did kind of get this like extra <laughs> thing from our dad where we both feel this, feel the need to kind of constantly be creating something. Um, and like, I don't know, Anna with her photos that she takes all around the world and like my 20 part Instagram and her, Instagram and her 20, and exactly her like freaking close friend stories on Instagram. And then with me with oh, my, I was just talking about like my normal Instagram oh, stories. And, close my, stories. and then like my private story on Snapchat, like I have this obsession with sharing every single facet of my life. I've even, I've pretty much taken the like artistic aspect out of it. Um, so I think like this podcast is kind of a way to channel that need and that energy into something that actually that I'm actually proud of so true I was like talking to my therapist about like why we were doing this and then I was just like we always said that when my dad died we were gonna like write a book because he wanted so badly to have his writing and his words leave a lasting impact and I feel like they could and he just really never found the right channel to um show them to the world and I feel like we have an opportunity to do that but then also yeah. with our grief we have an opportunity. Yeah. Like, yeah, honestly, the summers, I, my mental health has been really bad. And, um, this is a way for me to kind of channel that into something that's not just like sitting and staring at the wall. Yeah. So I don't know if that would be pissed or, I don't know if that would be pissed or happy about this, but I think in ways he'd be happy, even if he doesn't like every single thing that we're saying. Yeah. So he can deal with it. Um, so we're going to continue. I didn't, I honestly didn't realize that uncle Brian was such a writer until, I mean, I don't know what, what, like when I would have like really realized it, but I don't know. I'm just, I think this letter actually illustrates a lot of the differences between uncle Brian and dad and why they might've been like portrayed differently in our experiences, even though they both were like really smart and good writers. Yeah. It's really interesting. So uncle Brian writes, Stephen King writes a new novel every four months, but there is only one Holy Bible. And of course, its counterparts across the spectrum of religions practiced globally. That matters. Which body of work has had the greater and more enduring impact on an entire world? I like reading what people write, especially when it is supposed to be important to both the author and the reader. Only in the written word can we hope to truthfully bear our core. You cannot use vocal inflections, facial expressions, or hand movements to portray your meaning or the intent of the words as you fill in the blanks and develop a landscape worth exploring. How utterly daunting that blank piece of paper or blanking monitor. No pretense or farce here, boy. We are forced to create something in the expectation that the other person will get it, understand it, be moved by it, heed it, care about, and perhaps even keep it. Does it matter if the words are shared? Memos, novels, and scriptures are only meaningful if somebody, maybe just one body, can extract stuff from them. What a fearsome challenge. Or how fun. Manipulating letters of the alphabet in such a unique way that other people care enough to attempt to understand what it is you want to say, and then interpreting it their way, thus giving the words dynamic life and ultimate meaning. Call it communication. Love your dramatic reading, Lily. Okay, <laughs> you really got into should it. Should I be an audiobook writer? No, like, no, I don't that's know. a slay. I loved it. 
I loved it. I think especially for these longer paragraphs, like it helps bring it alive. I don't know. I felt inspired. And no, also, it was. I think I think it's an inspiring text. I think it's an inspiring yeah. paragraph. And like also just like, you know, like I think the idea of writing being as important as um, how the reader and the writer perceives it um, is, you know, it doesn't have to mean like important as like, you know, cater to a mass audience, but just important to one or two people even just the person writing it and the person receiving it um, is really cool. I mean, Brian writes writing is something that's fun. And I think while my dad loved writing, it's something that kind he of saw it to be something him. that was also slaved over. Yeah, I know. I think everything had to be perfect. I think the joy in it um, isn't there as much when you feel like you are writing for a mass audience that you want to both understand and worship you. Well, yeah. Well, Anna and I were talking about this because I was like, we were talking about like how it feels like everything my dad wrote, he was always writing for like an audience. Like he thought that he was going to get famous someday and everything that he wrote would be shared. And Anna was like, oh yeah, I do that. Like, yeah, I write in my, <laughs> I write in my diary or journal, or whatever. Like I write feeling like someone is going to read it someday and it will like be like your fans. Yeah. Will. Like, and it's weird because I have no ambition to be famous. Yeah. I know it's like silly cause we're making a podcast, but really like my goal is not to be personally famous. I think when I was younger, I was like, that'd be cool. I think as I've gotten older, like that's very much not for me. However, I do write, like I will be famous and someone, and I'm going to be fucking Taylor Swift and people are going to like be spending tens of thousands of dollars to read and my which is She means I will be like fucking Taylor Swift. Not I will be well, yeah, like I, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be yes. Taylor Swift. Um, and so I just think it's an interesting difference between finding the joy in writing and writing for an audience, but maybe a small audience versus my dad, who even though like, he kind of, you know, he, he, well, like, he, he wrote his lunch notes so that we would read them to our friends and they would all laugh. Like yeah. even that. But like he sent out some of his writing to like literary magazines and stuff, but generally never really made real strides in getting anything in front of like a much wider audience, but he always seemed to think it would be read by one. And mm -hmm. I think that puts a lot of stress on writing and makes it a lot more serious than it needs to be than the way that Brian's describing it. Yeah, this paradox that he literally says, what a fearsome challenge or how fun. Yeah, and I think you need to decide what it is. And I think it's, it's even if you might want to view it one way, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it's that's gonna how be. it's going to be, yeah. Okay, another long paragraph. And Brian, like my dad, in classic Corkman fashion. In classic Corkman fashion, and honestly, in classic Cork fashion period, yeah. I have the tendency yeah. to wax poetic. Um, when you grab a pen or hunch behind your map, regardless of the silly pile of plastic and piece parts history, or does that just add to the maelstrom? Consider writing something worthwhile, like you should prepare yourself emotionally, not physically nor intellectually, for a 5K run or a 440-yard dash, which is infinitely more diabolical and ultimately more revealing of a person's character. That was just one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> From when I started into that, that was all one sentence, <laughs> with, with some parentheses. Perhaps writing, like running, takes simple, unconditional courage. Have you ever run or wrote with nothing but heart? Putting it, the honest effort, all on the line, and pushing the aerobic threshold well past your perceived level of pain tolerance? Next time you speak with Dr. Frank, who is my dad's therapist, Ask him if it is possible to run slash write entirely without ego. Freud would say it was impossible. That is the point. It, the ego, is always with us. That fear evolves into creating excuses not to succeed or fail. 
In my opinion, the successful cleansing and resulting evaluation and potential rebuilding process is attained when you retrace your footsteps. Yes, we are back to the running metaphor and are satisfied that there was nothing else to give. Sweat, pride, and essence all trail the trial. That defines effort, and there is never defeat at any level when you do your best. Running, writing, and loving with a pure heart is impossible if you are choking on the fear of failure and or success. Isn't true courage born of fear? Finally, when you realize that none of that matters, outside of the effort, you have a work of art, yourself. Therefore, if you push the envelope and write from the heart, I almost prefer the word core, the result has no choice but to be compelling, sincere, and even important. If it touches another person the way you are striving to make them behold events and issues. Perhaps running, writing, and being human has to move through us all like an opus, as opposed to your epiphany. Perfection will always change with perspective. Write and see what happens. When your head swims and your butt aches, get up and go for a run. Edit what you wrote tomorrow. Don't analyze the act or is experience a better word? That makes the effort premeditated. And that word is rarely associated with good and positive things. Just do it. Okay, Nike. Okay, Nike. Long metaphor, which is very dad. Also, the reason I had trouble, we're going to edit it, but I had some trouble reading that because there's so many parentheses. And like question, rhetorical question. In the parentheses. And then continuing. So it's Um, kind of hard to verbalize it. It's like Uncle Brian said. There's nothing. In his last paragraph, like there's nothing about putting words on page that is hard to convey even when you have inflection in tone. Mm. There's nothing like the written word. So true. Um, This is some older brother advice right here. So true. And I think it very much shows a difference between Uncle Brian and my dad. Um, oh, yeah. I don't really know anything about Brian's mental health. He was definitely a very get up and do it guy. Yeah. Um, like, not someone who moped around. Moped around, like, really went into melancholy. That at times caused some conflict between my dad and him right. because I don't think Brian really got with my dad's mental illness. He was like, why don't you just be happier or like go right? Which I very much get if you're not in the place. And then if you are in the place, that feels impossible. So I think this like illustrates a difference between us. Brian had like a very, I think like a positive view on life and like people's ability to make their lives and themselves better, or at least try to be happy, which I feel like he lived. And my dad just did not have that. My dad was a tortured poet. Right. And his, you know, I think everything my dad did was premeditated. Even speaking to him, he thought for so long about every single word that he said, which Anna and I are both very impulsive people. And it's always like, I mean, if you've ever spoken to my dad, you know that it's kind of painful to wait for him to get a word out sometimes. Yeah, we speak fast, but I think <laughs> Brian like equivocating about being like, well, maybe this word better illustrates it or maybe this thing better illustrates it is very, they were similar like yeah. that where everything was very intentional and premeditated even as Brian's saying, don't be premeditated. Like how long do you think this took for him to write? And how long do you think it took for him to find the perfect word? And even when he found the perfect word, the fact that he felt the need to be like, but maybe this word yeah. is very, it's, it's, they very much have that in common. Yeah. You know, the whole idea where it's like basically the idea that it's better to try it all and fail or it's better to try and fail than not try at all. Um, I think Brian had a very 
different idea of that yeah. than my dad. <laughs> my, to my dad, there is nothing more humiliating than trying yeah. and failing. Yes. Yes. And that might be why, you know, he didn't try to get his writing out there because I think it would have been so painful for him to have it rejected. Yeah. And like he said, there's a couple like literary magazines or like some writing groups he joined, but he never really wrote the, the next great American novel that he always kind of imagined. Because I think if it wasn't, if it didn't live up to its expectations, which I don't think it ever could have, it yeah. wouldn't have been worth it. Um, also, I just want to say though, the quoting of Freud and the kind of like equivocating of like the ego and this psychological concepts that, well, is popular in pop culture, not necessarily everyone has the knowledge to write about those concepts, especially pre-internet age. Like Brad and my dad just both love to pull those references out. Right. And they always, and at least my dad always assumed that everybody knew everything about everything. Yeah. I don't think Brian necessarily no. had that same reflection. No. He he would he's pretty good about explaining no, Brian, stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the difference between them. Or Dad liked to pretend like he assumed that people knew, and then when they didn't assume, he'd be like, "Oh, crazy that you don't know that." But let me explain it to you, <laughs> which is like different, obviously. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Lily and I kind of got into a little squabble before this because I was like, "We could do a two-parter episode on this because there's so much here." Like, I could go by like line by line. Yeah. But I think overall putting it all together it's just <laughs> it it makes me laugh and it makes me think and it also makes me miss them a lot because they had both had like a lot of really I think good thoughts I think and I think they're a kind of person or they're they're I think they're both the kind of people that you just really miss talking to and as you can probably tell their perspectives were both not perspectives that you could find in anyone um so so true that's kind There's, of what makes this tragic there's so many things that happen and I'm just like, I wish I could talk to my dad about this because he always had an opinion. He always had a perspective and it was always like well thought out and informed by like so many different philosophies and thinkers and concepts. And like, I loved that. And I feel like, I felt like I still could have had that with my uncle Brian, but now I don't. <laughs> and so now it's just like Lily and I, but we don't have the same context or information that they have. We have our own different context and information, but it just, of everything, like that just like feels like a huge loss, like in everything that that's like one of, if not the main, the biggest thing that makes me really sad to think about. I'm like, I'm not that much of a crier about these things, but what that makes me cry whenever I think about it. It's the same way of like the lost libraries of Alexandria or like the library of Alexandria makes me cry, even though that like apparently didn't even really happen. <laughs> like the burning of the library of Alexandria, like the idea of like lost knowledge makes me really sad, which I think was also something I get in a large part from my dad. You know, it's something that I think about with all the Jews who died in the Holocaust. The Holocaust is so tragic in so many ways, obviously, but as my 10th grade history teacher says, like the outsized impact that Jews have made on, especially in scientific fields and in so many academic fields and how far advanced we would be as a society if like the Holocaust had happened because so many great thinkers died specifically in that event. Um, and you can say that about so many historical events, but something that makes me so sad about so many tragedies in history overall on a large scale is the loss of knowledge and what that knowledge could have meant to so many people. And I think on this smaller scale for me, 
it's a loss of personal knowledge, both like that advice, that like larger ideas that they had, but also just like family knowledge. There's so much that we don't know. And there's so many questions that I wanted to ask both of them. And I guess we'll just like never know. And that makes me really sad. And on my mom's side, there's so many people to ask. And there's so many perspectives and we just don't have that at all. Now with my dad's side, and I don't think that context matters to anyone but us, but it does matter to me. And that story matters to me. And that makes me really sad. And that makes me really grateful for all the stuff that my dad did leave behind. Because some of those questions we can probably find answers to in all of the random newspaper clippings and letters and, you know, letters between my dad and his grandparents and cousins and aunts that we never got to meet. Um, And that just makes me so grateful that my dad was so crazy. (laughs) So true. Okay, so to continue, you want to be a writer. I want to be a financier. We both want to create. Are you trying to make others understand by conjuring a living dynamic thing from the depths of your imagination, tempered by life's experience? Am I trying to build something in an industry notorious for manipulation, greed, avarice, and failure? I hate my job. What's the point? The answer is that we can make a difference. God, that is so corny, but so are the best movies. So true, Uncle Brian. So Uncle are Brian, the best You would have loved Oppenheimer. <laughs> Uncle Brian, you would have loved Oppenheimer. <laughs> Which is corny, but it's so good. Um, just so you guys know, writer, financier, and create were all capitalized. <laughs> like, those were, words were all in all caps. Um, and I think a lot of us, at one point or another, have thought, I hate my job. What is the point? Um, and I think my dad definitely agreed that the, <laughs> the point is that we can make a difference. I'm sorry, I laughed because you th- you, I thought you were going to say my dad could definitely agree that he hated his he hated jobs. He, that is also true. One thing about my dad, he didn't really like to work very much. No, so true. At this point when Brian's writing this, like, you want to be a writer. Like, my dad was a lawyer. My dad like, was like, like a, like a, like a, a big, corporate law, corporate, high-paid lawyer. Um, so Uncle Brian obviously knew him very well and his, like, actual goals, even if he wasn't really working towards that at all. But I think that this obsession with making a difference is something that we've probably all struggled over, especially my dad. Um, he basically everything he did in his life was somehow him trying to make a difference, whether it was trying to make a material difference in his life or trying to make a difference in the world, um, whatever that means. Um And I think it's a question that we all struggle with. Yeah. I think I inherited some delusions of grandeur from my dad that I'm currently trying to work through. And what is the best way to make a difference while also being okay? I think searching for meaning is important, but if you search too hard where you can't appreciate what's actually in your life, then Mm -hmm. that leads be down roads like my dad found. And, you know, I think we have a lot more insight into my dad's journey than my Uncle Brian's, especially because my dad outwardly struggled a lot more. But just based off what he's written, I think my Uncle Brian... They shared a lot of these things. Yeah, they shared a lot of these thoughts, um, which I think were like, oh, everyone goes through this. And I think a lot of people do especially the people that we're surrounded by because we are surrounded by a lot of smart, ambitious people. Maybe it's just by virtue of growing up where we grew up and everything. And But 
I do think some people are happy in their lives and they don't feel the need. <laughs> well, I do think some people well, are happy. I'm not sure everyone feels this like incessant need yeah. to this make some large difference in the world and to create something bigger than themselves. Like a lot of people are happy. Like, I mean, maybe that's expressed for some people through children. Maybe that's expressed by, religion. by some people through jobs or religion. But I feel like some people are able to find satisfaction and I would love to find satisfaction. I never want to be complacent, but I would love to be satisfied. And I remember when I first heard Hamilton, I was like, oh my God, I'm just like Angelica. I'll never be satisfied. And I no longer romanticize that. I People are like really going to think that you're Hamilton Like this is actually getting out of control. Yeah, it's me. I keep quoting it. Yeah, no, I know. It's you. It's uh, getting out of control. I'm telling you right now. Guys, okay, if you know me, like how often do I bring up Hamilton? Almost never. Only <laughs> when we're like talking about our dad. For some reason, I think it's just... That is where a lot of my thoughts about what a legacy comes from. Like, what is a legacy comes from? I mean, we were into Hamilton at a very formative age. So true. And so I think whenever I'm thinking about legacy, I think about that. And I don't think about it, or I don't talk about it that much, except in the scenario. So unfortunately, you guys are subjected to the Hamilton talks. And that's just kind of what <laughs> Maybe it we is. can start a separate <laughs> Hamilton podcast, like, eight years after anyone cared about Hamilton. We're just going to start, like... An unhinged Hamilton commentary podcast. Hamilton like, recap podcast where it goes song by song. Everything that, everything that there is to be said about Hamilton has already been said. That's so true. But I think that we are special and that people need to hear what we have to, the they Cork sisters to hear, have to say about they Hamilton. They need to hear the white girls from Washington, D.C. No one, no one is, like, and why is no one talking about this? Why is no one talking about Hamilton? No one's ever talked about Hamilton, actually. There haven't been enough think pieces. I know. There needs to be, we, there, this is, there's a market here. Oh, there's a market here. We got this. We should actually, okay. New like podcast and comment. Plan. Like and comment. <laughs> like We're going to ditch this sad stuff. And like just, and comment if you think that we should actually turn this into a Hamilton podcast. Yeah. And we'll take, we'll take that into consideration. Okay. Well, speaking of him, no, never mind. That doesn't have to do with it. Speaking of my uncle Brian, which we weren't speaking of him right now. Anyway. But anyway. <laughs> um, We're going to continue. We're going to continue. So. Um, like we said, we're kind of skipping around, but they are talking a little bit about the relationship as brothers. And Brian says, thanks for thanking me for doing what is and will always be in my heart. I am a brother. It's my job. It never occurs to me to berate you, loving you unconditionally and worrying about you while also being infinitely proud and sometimes exasperated is good for me as well. Every time we tow the abyss and find the courage to step back, we win. Knowing that the other one of us is still fighting the good fight is inspiring. Being a warm and caring person is fun. However, to keep me in perspective, just ponder the fact that I am not selfless. I run into burning buildings because I think it is fun. Think about that for a while. <laughs> for context, Brian was a firefighter. Oh! Which also partially probably contributed to his lung cancer because he was not a smoker. Yeah. Brian was actually like a crazy healthy person. Yeah, it's kind of annoying when, like, not that anyone ever deserves cancer, but when someone who like doesn't smoke cigarettes and like is incredibly healthy gets yeah. lung cancer, it's kind of like, okay. He was a huge health and fitness guy. Yeah, it's just, he was a firefighter. I mean, he, it's like one of those things where it's sad because, you know, it was probably the impact of him doing something good for people. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. However, the sibling stuff is nice. Really resonates. Really resonates. As an older sister, I do feel like, I have a job that's like ordained and 
I do berate Lily. <laughs> and I think the stuff about, you know, towing the abyss and then finding the courage to step back is something that um, a lot of siblings experience. I think that my dad and his brother had their fair share of, you know, moments where they didn't know if they could come back from whatever argument they were having. And I think that we've also had those things where it's kind of like, how are we ever going to be able to get along or um, reconcile this? Usually the answer is just like literally forgetting about it, which we often do. We were literally fighting right before this podcast. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think, you know, it's, it's something that's, it's, you're never truly going to, at least for me and Anna and for my dad and his brother, no matter what happens in our lives, this relationship is always going to be like the most important relationship in my life. So true. Especially because of all the trauma that we've gone through together and all the trauma that my dad and his brother went through together. Yeah. And I think it's definitely the most consistent relationship i mean it's that you see those cheesy tweets that are like you have like your siblings like you know you fall in love like too late for someone to like completely know your life and then your parents as much as like you might not want them to like god willing they will die before you because no parent should have to outlive a child but your siblings are the people who are like there for the whole time and that's like so important and beautiful and <laughs> uh i like i just like cry thinking about this relationship because I think my my dad and Brian like dying really close to each other is really sad. But <laughs> I don't know, like like I was saying, like they were there for each other throughout most of their lives, which like I don't want to make any like medical claims, but I know that for a lot of usually it's like with older people when their like spouse dies, one of them kind of quickly follows because there's yeah. just less of a like motivation. I think obviously, you know, Brian had cancer and it wasn't he wasn't like elderly or anything, but <laughs> I think that he was so protective of my dad and he felt like this, it, it was literally his mission to save my dad from himself and to be there for him. And the fact that he was, he was, he was there for my dad until the end of my dad's life. And then, you know, he kind of, well, he says worrying about you is good for me as well. Like it's, right. it's a, there's like a purpose there. It's a purpose. And not that he didn't have other purposes, but I think that was like a big one. That was a big one. Yeah. And Along with his, you know, wife and kids, obviously. Um, yeah, and I really just, I think, you know, that's like such a heartbreak. Like I, like literally, can't even think about losing a sibling. Like that's the worst thing I could imagine. And it's so funny. Cause I feel like Lily's like normally kind of a bigger crier than me, but I'm, I like, I'm the one who cries. I haven't been able to cry. Like I honestly am so. That's so fair. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, and just like, you know, we were talking about like stepping back from the abyss as like siblings, like, you know, really like with your relationship, it's also just like stepping back from the abyss of like life. And self and sabotage. And, and you know, Brian talking about like each of them kind of having the courage to step back. And like, at one point my dad didn't. And Brian's like, when we step back, we win. And so then at some point, you know, my dad lost that, which... It's just like sucks <laughs> and it sucks for us. I just, I really love how he said that, um, he said that being a warm and caring person is fun. <laughs> um, I, it's not always fun. I think that's kind of, that really just like shows his outlook. I think like there's like discourse about how like being a good person actually gives you nothing and we should all like, you know, oh, like you don't owe anyone anything and all of that. Um, and I think that, you know, being a, being a good and nice and caring person is fun. And it also, it, it, I think, I think that that's what gives our lives purpose. Um, 
and just like I think caring about people is the most human thing that we do and it's really hard like caring for my dad was really really hard caring for people who sometimes don't care for themselves is and Brian had to do that for so long yeah and it just I'm really grateful to him but also makes me sad that like it turned out how it did and it's just like a tragedy (laughs) and I and I do and I worry that he felt like he could have done something or which like he really could and now he like did everything he did everything so i think there are so many people who like literally laid out everything on the table for my dad like so many people and i could like name them all but like so many friends so much family and like sometimes like it's just not gonna be enough but i just hope that like everyone from my Brian from Brian to us to my family to my dad's friends can like find peace in like what they did do and that's something that I feel like of all the things I do have like mostly feel like okay about that generally I have my moments but like it's just like so hard Sorry, this got, like, really <laughs> depressing. Um, but it's just going to be like that sometimes when you're making a podcast about your dead dad. <sighs> especially when you're doing it days after another recent death. Um, so, yeah. And <laughs> we said this episode, last episode. I know. I was literally funny. thinking about how, like, last episode was super depressing. So we were like, okay, next episode, you guys, is going to be fun. And then we come on and we're like, <laughs> so our uncle died. And here is a really sad letter that he wrote to my dad 30 years ago. Yeah. And... It's just unfortunate because when it rains, it pours. However, knock on wood, like literally, knock on wood, like next episode, good things are coming, guys. <laughs> Some really good things are going to happen to us and we're going to be super, super fun. And well, I, like there's just like a lot of fun, funny stuff to read. And there are like funny parts of this that like maybe cut some of them. What are you talking about? Don't blame me. <laughs> the more like Don't blame jokes. me. Oh, I didn't. Eh, it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like that. I mean, it was nothing terrible. It was just, like, some, like, you know, like, um, more more inappropriate humor. But, um, yeah. I just... There's, like, a lot... There's a lot there. There's, there's much, a lot. As I love to say, there's much to unpack. Much to unpack. Guys, we're almost done. <laughs> okay, so we're going to continue. There's nothing that you have ever done that won't be forgiven in the face of the bigger picture based upon how important you are to me. In any event, what can ever be all that bad? (laughs) 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 Sorry. Rapport, rhetoric, and repartee will always make life more interesting. Sibling fallout is not nuclear in nature. There is a big difference in half-life. 50 years from now, there will be things that can never be as important as shared experiences that forge character and that make a difference to those around us that we can hope to influence. So true. That um, is heavy because, you know, 50 years. 50 yeah. years. They didn't have that. They didn't have that. <laughs> but they did have the time that they had. And that's so true. I mean, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs in the relationship, but in the end, like... It was never nuclear. No, it was never nuclear. Unlike the atomic bomb that was featured in Oppenheimer, the movie that we watched last night. (laughs) I feel like we're like literally like doing a... 
ad for Oppenheimer. I know. Like, sorry. I just like the fact that like we, the, the, us of all people. Sorry, that's irrelevant, but. But yes. So I just think that they're, it's so true with siblings. Like the, you can say the worst, most evil things into the world to your sibling. And the lady I have. To and we have. And we have. And we have. And we will continue to do so. Um, but we will always be each other's like most important person. I just like, want to say that. the most. Um, I'm just not going to read this because it makes me uncomfortable. But literally at the end of this paragraph, he talks about how he thought my dad was gay and then makes like an inappropriate gay joke, which I mean, classic sibling behavior. Classic sibling behavior. Literally Anna saying I was gay when I was in middle school. And I was right. And she was right. <laughs> so siblings, siblings know. So you. there's like an intuition. However, I, I don't think my I dad don't think was my gay. dad was gay. I just think that he was like very metrosexual. Very metrosexual. Like had these like very close male friendships and was like <laughs> very like lovey in a way that I think a lot of men weren't. Like he would like, oh, he was accused I, of being gay once. From... No, he was accused of being gay. Yeah. Like people thought, well, he was a Libra. <laughs> yeah. What do you expect from a Libra? So for them not to flirt with your husband? I think that. Libras flirt with everyone. I think my dad was very, um, like just very overtly lovey in a way that a lot of men aren't in part as a response to probably growing up where and how he grew up but also like his parents like said I love you and like we're big huggers and stuff so I think it's just different than a lot of the ways a lot of people were raised and Uncle Brian was the same way and so I think there were th- those gay rumors didn't fly my dad and Taylor Swift could like have a nice chat are you <laughs> are you a are you a, a regular <laughs> no wait that's no, not right. no exactly I was trying to think how to say it but uh a gig, a gig, a gig, a gig. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really fly off the tongue. Well, we're gonna make t-shirts with our dad, dad's faces on them that says, "Are you a gig?" Um, and you guys all better buy them. Anyway, you know, we all have those pesky gay rumors, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, siblings so important, so true. That's like sibling intuition, there's nothing like it. Lily's my best friend. I have a lot of best friends, but Lily's like. Yeah, fuck you guys. The bestest friend. <laughs> no, Caroline's another sibling. No, we're not talking about that right now. You're cutting that out, but I'm just not with her right now. Okay. okay. Well, we had a good talk about it last night. She like... Okay. We had a good talk. She agreed with me. We had a good talk. She agreed with me. <laughs> okay. Um, so, last little part is... I have not one bad brotherly memory. I have an ongoing sense of inspiration and frank awareness as a backdrop for a sense of purpose and process and a journey. That perhaps we can complete where our father never stood a chance and our children will never have to undertake. So. Ooh. Ooh. Womp womp. womp, womp. <laughs> well, okay. Let's start with the stuff. The I have not one bad brotherly memory. I think, I feel like that thing is, okay. Even in the ways, even in our memories <laughs> that are like, that was a bad time. Over time, they become silly, funny memories. Right. I don't really have one bad sisterly memory, memory other than maybe like, an hour ago when we were fighting, but soon that will be a funny story. But soon story. that'll be funny. And it's already con- it's already funny because it's already, already funny about because it. I'm just really hungry. Yeah, <laughs> she is hungry. I don't know if you heard her stuff. It's growling throughout it, but I keep making her, I keep making her pause talking because you can hear it. So don't pod when you're hungry, ladies. Yeah, don't that's more of the story. Fuel your body before you pod. <laughs> but I think that's so true. Like. It's like you are like sibling relationships are a process and a journey and there is a sense of purpose to it. Yeah. In a way that I don't think that there necessarily is. Right. Even our fights, all. even our fights usually. It's character development. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So siblings are the best character development no, you'll ever get. Literally. Because nobody knows you like your siblings and nobody has the balls to call you out like your siblings. So true. And that's why like I would never have an only child. And I think. Well, first of all, you need someone to process your trauma with. And then you also need someone to, like, neg you. 
so exactly. that you can become a better version of yourself. No, and it's like, I was literally talking to my therapist today about why I'm such a bitch to my sister. And I was like, she needs me. She needs me to tell her that she's being annoying. And I need her to tell me I'm being annoying. Maybe we can do it in a nicer way. I know, way, but, then I also, but then you also need me to be like, no, you're perfect. Everyone else is wrong about you. Yes, yes. And I, I well, what I say about my sister often is that um, I do think that no, like I understand her more than anyone. And I also don't really understand her very much because my sister is- an enigma. Is, she's an enigma. And I don't like say that about many people. I think most people think that they're more special than they are. But if you've like met my sister or if you know my sister well, like you know that she doesn't really quite make sense. Like she's both a hopeless romantic and also doesn't actually fall in love with people in real life. So it's very confusing. I think the, the most important part of understanding me is realizing that you're never gonna 100% get me because I have these very random facets to my personality. And you can be like, oh, I know that's a facet of your personality, but like, I don't get that part because I think that they don't necessarily How go together. How do these two so go most, together? So most yeah. other people who have one of those parts don't have the other. So you can like acknowledge it, but you're not 100% gonna be in it with me, which is fine. Cause I have different friends who I feel like as a conglomeration understand me as a whole, which is great. And like, yeah, with siblings, I think having someone who gets you, but will also be real with you is really important. And my dad and Brian were very real with each other. Like they, you know, some of these emails that we might get to later are like, you know, they would have their back and forth. But I think if you don't have that, like, what do you do? One of my best friends, Caroline, hi, she's an only child. And literally last night we got into a thing because she did something and I was like, why'd you do that? And it's like, I'm that person for her. And I think it's great because we do have a very sibling-like relationship. And I am also that person for yeah. her. Yeah. Because Lily and I both was like, why did you like, do that? Separately contacted her and we were like, why did... And the thing that she did, by the way, was not yeah, like... Yeah, it was, it, was, it was nothing terrible. She like just posted like a, a, a musical artist that we don't like on her Instagram story. <laughs> and it was not Kanye West. It, it was not Kanye West. So yeah, we can stop... Nothing the, unforgivable. Yeah, we can stop <laughs> the cancellation. And that's the thing. Like, you know, she's, she's like a sister to me. I could never not forgive her for anything. Yeah. But I think it's really important to have those people. And siblings are like a built-in person. And if you don't have that, you really have to seek it out. So like Caroline seeks me out. And she was like, I'm actually very grateful that... We had talked this last night. She's like, I'm grateful that I have you to like be real with me and to like kind of like like you know hold me accountable even if it can come off as preachy because you just need those people in your life like that's so important yeah and sometimes when we're preaching it's because we are prophets because yeah we're speaking the gospel yeah so like we have a gospel to share so listen to us so when you're like wow they're they're being preachy you should actually just open your ears and your hearts and accept and and then cork into your heart yes 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 you know um and you know i think you know he kind of talked touches on this like this generational thing that you know maybe they never my dad and Brian never completely got to complete where their father never stood a chance. And, you know, maybe we did have to uh, undertake some of that burden. Um, but they passed on to us, I think, the tools that we need to, to finally close that. To finally close this generational wound. So true. Along with Haley and Emma. I think, like, it is a journey. And Brian was talking about the two of them on a journey throughout their lives. And I think... It's not something that maybe someone can complete in a lifetime, but they can complete over multiple lifetimes. And I think that's like where the generational idea comes in, where you start off with some bad stuff. And like my dad said, like, it's not like his dad had it great with with his dad either. And I think that there's something to be said about that my dad and Uncle Brian pass on to their kids just a better hand than than they got dealt even yeah. if it wasn't a perfect hand. And also, I think it really helps that we were all girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. The m- <laughs> ma- male melancholy is just 
not to be gender essentialist, but yeah. there's there's something about especially white male. Well, specifically the maybe cor- no more cork men is okay. Yeah. Yes. And we love our cork men. And we love our cork men. And I think that the, the, and the cork women and the cork <laughs> women and the stuff that they pass down to us will continue on to our kids too. But I think that there is like a lot of sadness and tragedy in that line of men. And I think that the girlies are breaking it. And I'm oh, yeah. proud of us and I'm proud of Haley and Emma for, you know, figuring out ways to get out of that box. And that Thomas, kind of- Haley's son, is going to be the most perfect boy with <laughs> I zero know, trauma. So true. Zero trauma. Except for when his nanny dropped him, but that wasn't Haley's fault. Yeah, that was, well, no, that was. That nanny's fired. That nanny's fired. Do not worry about that. Haley, Haley took oh, care Haley of that. took care of that. Yeah. Nobody is more protective of their child than Haley Gore. Yeah, and she's slaying. And yeah. I'm just excited to see the kids that we produce. Um, and they'll be slightly traumatized. And they'll be slightly traumatized, but I think But about, no more than the average. I think about child. that Lucy Dacus line, like how she talks about her friend wanting a kid. Um, and she says, knowing you, he'd be the first kid to never hurt another. And like, obviously that's not something anyone can do. Like no one will ever not hurt anyone. But I think that you can look at people and be like, wow, you're going to raise pretty incredible kids. And there's an awareness there. And there's a capacity there to do that. And I think with my dad and Brian, there was an awareness, not always necessarily a capacity just because of the hands that were dealt. And I think that they pass on to us really good opportunity along with the women that they chose to have children with, especially, I think those were really good choices to give us the tools to um, have the first kids who will never hurt another. Yeah. So our kids will all be perfect. <laughs> Once Lily figures out how not to be a helicopter mom. Yeah, I'm fucking crazy. Yeah. So we're gonna have to figure that out. But so first I have to uncrazy myself, and then my kids gonna be awesome. And then when we're when you're 29 and I'm 31, our kids will be awesome. Yeah, our parents decided that last night. Yeah, but. no, we were talking about what age you wanted kids, and I was like probably like 31, and Lily's like probably 31 too, and mom was like no, no, actually you're starting at 29. Yeah, there. Yeah, you guys need to have kids at the same age, and I was like, so all right, the decision was made, and that's what it is. So yeah, and I feel like that's what we're gonna read today from that from that letter. And Brian just signs it Brian, and then he wrote a wrote a B, um, because it's all typed down, and then he just wrote the B physically, which. Is a sense of drama and character that is very fitting for the cork man. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of like a lot of beautiful sentiments in there and about writing and siblings and the meaning of life. Which what what would a letter be from a cork man if it didn't cover at least one of those topics? Or all. Or all. Yeah. Usually almost always the meaning of almost always. Yeah. Almost always. Um, so I'm going to go eat some food now. So true. Lily is going to go eat some food. I'm going to try to figure out what's up with the air conditioning because it's hot in here. No, the air conditioning sign. Okay. It's just hot. Maybe I'll turn down. Maybe I'll turn up the air conditioning. Anyway, guys. So slay. Um, hope that everyone's having a better day. We are are having, (laughs) but hopefully by the time it comes out, we'll be thriving and slaying again. So (laughs) We will live to slay another day. Live to slay another day. Okay. Um, thanks for listening. And love you guys. Love you guys. SNI, Robin knows, making an S, butterflies, making butterflies. You make your real butterfly with you. For our 9 el tic-tac-toe hippopotamus. Love you guys. Slay. <laughs>